Hi everyone, and welcome to a brand new episode of Opera After Dark. What are we discussing today? Today, we're going to talk about one specific opera. We're going to talk about Antonin Dvorak's um, Rusalka. Dvorak is one of my favorite composers because he composed my favorite thing ever, which is super fun. It's the New World Symphony. Right. Symphony 9. Naomi can attest that if there's ever a party where I get beyond a certain state of drunkenness, <laughs> I will start playing it and I will sing along to it because it is my favorite thing ever. What do you yes. play? Like you play a recording or do you play it on the piano? Oh, no. I'll play a recording of it. Oh. It has to be the New York Phil conducted by Leonard Bernstein because the tempos are weirder than like all the other versions of it. I'm into it and I will sing along. Wouldn't I've it? made up words. I just love it. How great would it be <laughs> if you could like play it like just with whatever instrument was on hand you just like a kazoo or something <laughs> <laughs> the melodica the melodica oh, that would take a lot yes. of work but i think it'd be worth it yes Elspeth and her, her mad melodica skills Marilla. it's just that i feel like divorce regardless of what it is that he's playing it always sounds like pirate music to me okay um, all right well it is parts of Rusalka. That's true. I think are very piratey. A lot of it is in some sort of triple meter and yeah, Neural Symphony. I realize that it's about America and there are like spirituals and folk songs in it, but it just it's always going to be pirate music to me. Nice. All right. Yeah. Pirate music is good. It's Every, awesome. Everybody yeah. likes a yo ho ho. Exactly. There's a lot of yo ho ho. <laughs> that I do not hear pirate music there. Yeah, I've listened to what's underneath it. I hear that and I think of like a prairie, like just pristine prairie on a blue sky morning i, I well your that... experience is different than mine that's fine <laughs> i in my mind's eye i see elspeth in a pirate hat at the helm of a ship with the little periscope telescope thing nice yeah scanning the sea the vast expanse of ocean which is much like the vast expanse of a prairie that's true <laughs> that is very vast true. expanses a sea of that's... grass that's what i think of when i i listen to dvorak vast expanses but so, Dvorak as a person was kind of boring, right? Oh, really? He, I mean, he didn't really do anything particularly scandalous or crazy. Good for him. He did have like <laughs> one really quirky hobby. He's the one composer. The one composer. Didn't wait, wait. Can anything. we guess? Yeah. Can we guess what the hobby was? Guess. It's an important hobby. No, a like, quirky hobby. A quirky hobby. How quirky are we talking? Scale of one to ten. Like. <laughs> I mean, it's, it's the hardest like question you've heard all week. Oh, okay, quirky. okay, okay. 
Like for his time period. For his time period. Oh. Can you give you us his dates? I really love this hobby, Elspeth. He. Can you wait? Give us his dates really quick. Do you have them his handy? Dates, yes, that's good. His dates are 1841 to 1904. Okay, a quirky and hobby. He was he was born in what is now the area of the Czech Republic. Okay. <laughs> he <laughs> he made like little wax figurines from the characters of Goethe's novel. That Verter is based on. That is very specific. Is that not it? <laughs> <laughs> that, is, that is not God, it at all. What if it had been it? <laughs> I'm thinking that he's. It's something having to do with like life science, like biology. Originally, I thought like maybe like taxidermy, but then you said that Elspeth would. Why like would it. I be and, into that? Right, right. That's okay. So, so taxidermy like the exact is opposite it. of what. Elspeth but maybe he's like into, into like right. like bird watching. Why or something. Okay, so he's into a watching of a certain kind. Oh, is he a, is a peeping Dvorak? <laughs> it is not weird and creepy. If you lived in this time period, I bet you would be willing to go do this kind of watching with him. People you watching? You being Elspeth. Not people watching. He watched cats. Love... He did not watch cats. Good guess, though. <laughs> All right, we might have to just give up. No. What? What did he do? He he would go train watching. Oh, okay. That's like a Denver thing. Though. <laughs> yeah. Denver being Naomi's husband. Yes, I was I was gonna suggest that as a clue. No, but it would have been, been way too obvious. Actually, that's so funny because we did bond over that one YouTube or no Netflix video of the Norwegian train. I that still goes- watch it sometimes. If oh, anybody do doesn't that. know, you can go on Netflix and there's a video. Oh, God, what is it called? It's the Bergensbahnen. The Bergensbahnen, but it's a series called Slow, Slow, Train. Slow TV. Slow, tra- Slow TV or Slow Trains. Hold I don't know. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to look it up right now. I'm going to tell you guys. And it is literally someone attached a camera to the, the, the front, front, of, the front of this train. And it's just like what you see if you are riding this train. Um, guys, coincidentally... I did ride this train like two weeks ago. You rode the Bergenbahnen. When I was in Norway, yes. It's just called, yeah, Slow TV. It is, this is literally seven hours and 14 minutes. Right. So I didn't do the, that that train ride is across the country of Norway from Oslo to Bergen or Mm -hmm. maybe vice versa. Mm -hmm. Okay. I did probably two thirds of that journey before Uh splitting off on a different train. It was majestic. I mean, you go yeah. from sea level to like, you know, several thousand of feet above sea level um, in these mountains with the snow and the lakes. It's, yeah, it's beautiful. It's beautiful. It's wonderful. Highly recommend if you have an extra seven hours just to. All right. So the most interesting thing about Dvorak <laughs> is that he watched trains. <laughs> he watched trains. He He also would like visit train stations because he really liked trains so hey, that's imagine imagine fair enough fair enough he was he was born like as trains were being developed yeah like it's like totally. a technological wonder of his time right, right. I'm that's saying, like some people... composers that we have talked about in the past have murdered people right so this is is a little bit different <laughs> for us it's pretty tame for us right. yeah, yeah, yeah this yes. is comparable to like if you went to go watch like airplanes or watch a space shuttle launch or something like that yeah yeah yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. i don't or if you're like one of those people who like this. go and and you find all the different like server farms for the internet all over the world. There's a book about a guy who did that. 
So uh, don't worry, it's not Denver. It's not okay. my husband. <laughs> <laughs> It's funny because I did like really for a I split like second. I, I was like, "Did Denver?" <laughs> I feel like I really had a geek out moment about that map that you have in your kitchen. That map that is shows, awesome, though. That shows all of the like, undersea cables that carry the internet around the world. So crazy. Right, right. I and so I found that absolutely fascinating. As you could tell, I talked about it for a really long time. Under but the then, sea. yeah, finding all of the server it's farms around the, the world. Sea. That sounds. And I'm bringing it back because yeah, you guys are bringing everyone. (laughs) Doesn't know. We're totally cutting Kyle off in his description because he gave us the perfect segue. Perfect segue. Rusalka is basically the story of the Little Mermaid. Not basically. I mean, it is. I mean, it is. It's like the original dark version where people die. At the end, it's not the Disney version. Yeah, and it's mm-hmm. it's like the original version based on Czech folk and fairy tales. Right. Yeah. Where a Rusalka is is basically the name of the the creature. A Rusalka is is like a mermaid, is like a sea spirit. Right. right. Although, technically. Oh, technically, please correct. Me. <laughs> technically, they're not they're not found in salt water in the Czech Republic. Oh, they're found in lakes and shit? They're found in freshwater lakes in these things <sighs> in, apparently that are common in that part of the world that they call, I think, tonkas. And it's like a tiny, a tiny lake, but like really deep. And yeah. so the idea is that, um, well, you one- You know, like Loch Ness. I guess so. Is Loch Ness freshwater? A freshwater Loch Ness is freshwater, a freshwater but it's monster? very big. It is really big. He's a he's and, a freshwater monster. Okay. <laughs> okay. But that makes sense because like if you're intaking all of that salt water, like your blood pressure is probably mm-hmm. through the roof because you're <laughs> salt. I mean, also let's that just makes con- sense. let's just consider where the Czech Republic is. Fair it's enough. a landlocked country, right. so it's not on the ocean. Right. True. Right. So. So it's a freshwater spirit. It's a freshwater spirit, and there are a, depending on the area of. Like, geographically, where you grew up, you might hear different stories about how Rusalkas come into being. Mm-hmm. Some people mm. just say that they're spirits, right, that live in the water. Um, other people say that they are basically the ghosts or the spirits of uh, virgins who fell into the lake and drowned. Which happens frequently? I guess so. And in so the, the Czech Republic. And, and so they're trying to, like, lure men into the depths to oh, be like with sirens. Them. Yeah, similar to okay. sirens. Yeah. yeah. And and so there's that much darker kind of version of it as well. Um but also I guess another like weird thing connected with this opera and Dvorak is that Dvorak did say at one point that he was like walking in the woods and he came upon a tanka in the woods and mm-hmm. he sat down on the banks of the tanka and he saw a rusalka spirit rise up out of the water and look at him and that's what inspired him to write the opera okay all right okay who knows if that's actually true so was there is this you can go there today and there's like a little stone that like commemorates (gasps) it like this is like Dvorak's tonka where he saw the rusalka we should go yeah did he write the book (laughs) or was there i think it was an existing myth and but not like a written text it, it had been written down. There well, were, at that point, was it like the Hans Christian Andersen? Hans Christian Andersen had written down a version of the Little Mermaid tale, but also there were versions by these two writers like in Czech. Mm-hmm. And so there was kind of a local 
um, book of fairy tales by a Czech writer who had compiled kind of like the the Czech versions or the Bohemia Bohemian versions because that would have been Bohemia at that time, right? And so okay. yeah, um, so they did compile their own tellings of those tales in a printed version, which. Dvorak probably knew about, and also the librettist, whose name is really, I don't know if I'm pronouncing it correctly, but it's Yaroslav Kvapil. Um, he probably knew about those collections of Czech fairy tale sure. versions as well. Nice. So, so before we just jump right into this opera, is there anything else we need to know about Dvorak other than train watching and New World Symphony? Great beard. Big bush beard. Solid beard. beard. Okay. great beard. Yeah, check, I mean, check the website and check Instagram for just this the, beautiful, the, beautiful, the beautiful, beard. Beard. beautiful beard. I mean, <laughs> he was he was extremely prolific. Like this was a guy that really wrote a lot, and he wrote several symphonies. The Slavonic dances are really popular of his. Uh, Carnival Overture. Yes, so good. Yeah, he also wrote. Um, the Stabat Matter? I don't know that very well, but it's... It's beautiful. It's really yeah. very popular. And he also traveled quite a bit. Like, he came to North America, which is kind of part of the story of the New World Symphony, where he, like, traveled around the U.S., and he was kind of commissioned to write a piece that was evocative of the New World, which right. is how we get the New right, World Symphony. Right. And so by the time he wrote Rusalka in opera generally, he was actually uh, quite quite a bit older or at the end of his life, you could say, because Rusalka premiered in 1900 and he died in 1904. So it's one of his more mature works. Sad. So the, so Dvorak didn't start writing opera until later in his career. And it was around a time where he kind of took a turn towards trying to write things that were very strongly rooted in folk or fairy tale sources and so that was something he didn't come to until much later but wasn't life. that his jam sort of writing like classical music that had elements of like a czech folk idiom in it he went he certainly went through a phase of of that okay. but in terms of applying that to opera that didn't happen until much later did he do other operas besides Rizalta? he did the devil and kate i don't know that one i don't well, know that but we should look i'm it intrigued up. by it yeah and he wrote a couple others, I think, but again, all towards the the end of his life. Mm-hmm. The libretto for Rusalka was already written, like pretty much in its entirety, by the time Dvorak came into contact with it, and it was one that the writer uh, Yaroslav Kvapil was kind of like trying to find a composer mm-hmm. nice. that would want to work with it, and it is indeed kind of like a merger of elements from the Hans Christian Andersen and then elements from Czech folklore and then also some a version of that tale um, by, I think, a French writer because it went under the name Undina because the Undina oh, legend yeah, is also a, a, like a derivative of the Little Mermaid. But is it in that one, um, it's sort of like she's more of um, a selkie where somebody, mm-hmm. a fisherman captures her and because she, she sheds her skin at night and then marries her and... Like, he hides her yes. tail, right? Yes. So there's oh, elements of bizarre. that in, in this. Right. Yeah. So she's, like, beholden to him, and they have a family, and they have kids, and she finds her tail one day, <gasps> or, like, her skin, and then puts it back on and leaves because Ooh. she was trapped and that kind right. of stuff. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Wait, so her skin being, like, her mermaid skin? It'd be, like, her mermaid's tail. And a lot of versions of that story, she's, like, a, a selkie, which means she's a seal. So it'd be oh. her like seal pelt that she sheds at oh. night 
kind of thing. Odd. Yeah. Yeah, but there's a lot of works inspired by the Little Mermaid story or mm-hmm. the Undina story or Sirens generally. So I think an interesting part of this is that um, they there is this idea that this creature, whether they're called a Rusalka or a Selkie or Mermaid, they're kind of like a seductive creature that lures men in or Mm -hmm. somehow inspires them to fall in love with them and kind of lose all sense of reason, which I think we see a little bit in Rusalka the opera, but I think that the prince is just just an idiot in this opera. Idiot. (laughs) You know what's interesting to me is how you have different uh, cultures in different places around the world that pick up these same stories. Mm -hmm. Whether I mean, Europe isn't a massive continent or subcontinent depending on how you look at it Mm -hmm. um so like it's reasonable that these stories could be passed from place to place Mm -hmm. but i don't know i feel like you see a similar type of story around the world and it's amazing that it it makes me think that maybe people when they're coming up with the stories they come up with similar elements just based off of what they're observing in their whole in their own life yeah Mm mm-hmm it's a little bit bizarre because then it's like, wow, why are all of these people thinking up of mermaids or something like that? Maybe there's something to it. Oh, you want to believe in mermaids? Maybe oh. Loch Ness is, is you just maybe want to Nessie. believe in the Loch Ness monster? Yeah. Is that what's happening? No, a real story though. So a while ago, uh, my girlfriend, now wife, and I were watching this thing on Discovery Channel that was like, how mermaids are actually real what like and it was like done in documentary style and we were like what the hell like this is ridiculous like what the hell but my wife was totally into it she's like oh my gosh oh my i cannot believe like oh my gosh and then of course she looked it up afterwards and it was like a complete well it was just a parody it was like you can say that anything is real (laughs) everything's real and nothing matters um (laughs) Right. So tell us the story of Rusalka. Okay, so this I I will admit that this opera is definitely one of my like top ten favorite operas mm-hmm. of all time because the music of this opera is insanely beautiful and brilliant and interesting. And even though the story is like as I've alluded to, the prince is just the worst. Yes. Mm-hmm. I do think that this is a great example of a of an opera where like the music tells it all. Like it gives you everything you need. And mm-hmm. it's something that the more you listen to it, like the more the more interesting it is because it is so made its premiere in nineteen hundred, so by this time the idea of a through composed opera is very established at this point, meaning that there's like no break in the music and mm-hmm. instead of having numbers with like set arias and recitative and that sort of thing, there is a definite through line where it's just like constant music and the score is held together in this work primarily by reoccurring leitmotifs Mm -hmm. and they're very transformational too. So they change and morph over time and kind of evoke a particular situation or feeling depending on what's happening. And so if you go through this score and you kind of trace the leitmotifs and you can understand even in more depth kind of what is going on in a particular scene or the different things that the characters are feeling and thinking. And I think it's especially important in this opera because a big component of the story is that Rusalka 
or the Rusalka character, she's actually never given a name mm-hmm. in the whole thing. She actually loses her voice for the majority of the opera. So it's something where you need the orchestra to tell her perspective because otherwise she can't say anything. She can't sing anything. Right. So that's really an important part of this particular work. So um, I guess we'll talk about the, we'll go through the the plot and like musical highlights because there's lots we can talk about. So the Rusalka is the main character. She's never really given a name, though most people just refer to her as Rusalka. Mm -hmm. And she is a water nymph. She is... Um, a mermaidish character and oh the other interesting thing about rusalkas in czech folklore is that there are certain versions of the tales where the rusalkas are bound to the lake because they are water creatures but in some versions they come out they can come out of the water during the full moon and climb trees and they sing in the trees oh yeah Mm. i think it's kind of interesting that um a lot of the characters aren't given proper names like the prince is only known as the prince like yes. when we get into it later the foreign princess is only known as the foreign princess and the only people that have actual names are um basically the ursula character yes yeshibaba yeshibaba and Yeshi-baba. then the king triton type character yes. his name is Vodnik, right well Vodnik is the name of a creature it's not in folklore oh. so, he doesn't, so like ursula yeah. is the only one that has an actual name that's true but Yeshi Baba is also a name that is, or a term that's used for any witch-like character. All right, like, it so is also this whole theory point. is just, like, falling apart in front of everybody's eyes. But, but still, like, it's Nobody like the, has an actual, like, Christian name. Everyone is sort of, like, correct. an archetype. Yes, everyone okay. is an archetype. What yeah. do, do you think that's to make the opera so fairy tale. more widely accessible to audiences across different countries and cultures? I don't think that's true. I don't think so. I think it's more just the way that they de- decided to tell it. And I think in folklore, like, none of these people have... That's true. ...proper names, I mean, right? Like, if you were and telling so, it as a as a myth, you would say, and then the mermaid, blah, 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 and then right. the prince, then blah, the blah, blah. Yeah. 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 And so, and the other interesting thing, I would have to, like, comb the score, but Rusalka does say and address the witch as Yeshi Baba, and Vodnik says to her, like, I can't help you. You have to go to Yeshi Baba. Mm-hmm. So they do Yikes. use it as as a term in some in some ways. Um, and then I don't know if she says, like, the prince or how she refers to him. I think it's just the prince. Yeah. So, but I think, I think a lot of it comes down to just, like, the fairy tale structure mm-hmm. of it. So All how right. do we start? So where, the whole we... thing starts with um, a very... Um, kind of magical forest setting. So there are nymphs that are kind of jumping around in wood sprites, they call them. And so these are mythical creatures or fairy tale creatures that can kind of walk on land and that sort mm-hmm. of thing. And they're teasing the Vodnek and it's kind of a, a very dance-like opening. And they're teasing him and he's also bound to the water. The Vodnek is like a, a father-like creature who is like half frog, half man some people describe him as a water goblin um in a lot of folklore he's like dressed like a vagrant or kind of can be mistaken easily as like a hobo or something like that Mm -hmm. uh, because of his appearance and he usually has like webbed hands and feet and so he has this kind of fatherly role in the whole thing and so 
the wood sprites are jumping around and dancing. And then after that, uh, that kind of seamlessly transitions into Rusalka's big aria, which is very close to the beginning of the opera. And it's when she, in most productions, she's placed up in a tree. There's like a big moon behind her. So it kind of alludes to this element of the folklore that a Rusalka can come out at night and climb a tree and sing. Mm -hmm. And she has clearly left, been able to leave the water if this has happened to get up the tree. But the, the tree, if that is the way it's staged, the tree is always like right beside a, a body of water of some kind. Right. So she gets up into this tree and she sings this song to the moon where she's basically telling the moon and us, the audience, all about her love for the prince. And she's kind of asking the moon to take this message to him, to convey to him that she loves him. She's saying to the moon that she wants to be where the people are. <laughs> <laughs> so, yes, so Rusalka's song sounds a little bit different. Right. And this is the famous thing from this opera. Yes, it right, is. Right, right. And, and so people sing this aria all over the place. Yeah, right? and it literally happens within the first 20 minutes. Yeah. Yeah. And I think the other interesting thing to note about this is that it also introduces us or reminds us of her leitmotif. And so mm-hmm. the overture to this also has all of the leitmotifs in it. But this one, her leitmotif is not the melody for the song to the moon. But when it opens, like, you know that aria is starting because you hear the her motif, which is...
this score is so gorgeous, so, so gorgeous. lush, so I beautiful. Feel, I feel like people are pretty intense about their Rusalkas, and yeah. actually, I feel like it's really hard for a soprano to like blow people away as Rusalka. People get really, really critical from my experience. It, well, I feel like the Rusalka, the beat, for lack of a better word, has always been Renee Fleming. Yeah, I feel like in in like her heyday, that was sort of one of her signature roles. I'm pretty sure that's Rusalka. how she made such a big splash. Like, kind of got onto like international attention mm-hmm. because of singing oh, her Rusalka. song to the moon. Yeah, yeah, and because I think the other important part of this too, from like a performing tradition, is that this opera libretto is written in Czech, mm-hmm. and. Czech is really hard to sing in mm-hmm. because of the way that the consonants are kind of like back to back and the way mm-hmm. the vowel sounds are like it's it's very different from any other romance like from the romance languages of Italian, German, French. And it's also it's very different from English because some of the consonant clusters are are sounds that we don't make in this language. Right. So it's just it's a very it's a really big learning curve. Right. And even something like that. people that speak other languages that you consider close to this, like Russian or Latvian or Polish. Um, apparently, native Czech speakers can still hear an accent. Mm-hmm. So in New mm. York City, there was this amazing exhibition a couple of years ago um, by the, I think it was by the, I can't remember the name of the organization, like the Czech Society of New York or something like that. And they actually brought Dvorak's autograph score here to New York and they had a oh, whole cool. exhibition about the performance history of Rusalka, and I went to see it because I was so excited to see Dvorak's score. Sure. And I was talking to one of the curators of the exhibition, and she said at the time it was when the Met was doing Rusalka and Christina Opelias was singing wow. Rusalka. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. Christina Opelias, I believe, is Latvian yes. from Latvia. And they said her check is okay. And for a non-Czech speaker, they could probably never detect the difference between her pronunciation of the Czech text and a a native speaker's pronunciation. But she said any Czech speaker listening would say, oh, she speaks or she sings Czech with with an accent, with a Latvian accent or with like a pseudo-Russian accent. Hmm. So it's something that I think Czech speakers are very like closely attuned to that just kind of goes over the head of everybody everybody else but i read an article or rather an interview by a singer recently that was like she it was a soprano and she said yeah i just sadly won't ever be able to do czech repertoire because like i can speak the other main opera languages pretty well and i Mm -hmm. just never will be able to do czech well so i just won't do that repertoire and another thing to consider, too, when you talked about the performance history of this work, because it's really only gained a lot of popularity on the international stage in, like, the last 20 or 30 years. But I don't have any source to, like, back this up. But I'm pretty sure that's because because of the Iron Curtain. Like, yeah. you just didn't have singers oh. who could sing in Czech, right? Mm-hmm. That could yeah. easily travel between countries. And so that's something that only now are we really getting this, like, great resurgence of singers or, like evolution of singers who can actually sing in Czech and do the language justice that we didn't yeah, really have in like you know the 60s or 70s so um but yeah so this is there's Renee Fleming made 
is kind of the soprano of the of the present time to beat. Before her, I'm pretty sure it was Gabriela Banatskova, who was mm-hmm. a really famous Czech soprano. So she nice. kind of like made made Song to the Moon and made Rusalka at all popular on the international stage. And then Renee Fleming kind of picked that up in the present day. Right. Yeah. But all right, so, back so, to the plot. Rusalka sings Part right. of Your World. Everybody <laughs> applauds. It's great. It's a showstopper. Yes. And I think just kind of a plot point to know is that the prince, from what we can tell from what Rusalka tells the moon and also what she tells the Vodnik, is the prince has been, like, coming around that area of the woods and she's noticed him, Mm -hmm. but he hasn't Mm. really, he can't see her. Like, he hasn't seen her yet, hasn't noticed her. So Son of a bitch. He, like, dips his head into the water to, like, wash his face and she sees him and she's fallen in love with him. Right. But he doesn't know about her. So... Rusalka is desperate to be part of his world. And so she tells the Vodnik, who's like her father-ish figure, all about the prince that she's seen and fallen in love with. And she begs him to make her human or make her visible to him. And the Vodnik says, I can't help you. That involves some serious black magic. The only person you can go to is Yeshi Baba. Yeshi Baba. And yes, Yeshi Baba. <laughs> and he says, but please don't do that. Like this and basically the Vodnik's saying, like, this guy is not worth it. Mm-hmm. Like if you go to Yeshi Baba, you're gonna have to sell your soul and this guy is not worth it. Right. And Rusalk is like, but I love him and he's of gonna course. love me. Absolutely. And so she goes to Yeshi Baba. And so there's this great scene where You mean Rus- she goes to Yeshi Baba. Yeshi Baba. Yeshi Baba. The poor unfortunate soul segment of the opera. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, and so there's a great scene where Rusalka summons Yeshi Baba, and Yeshi Baba is like bubbling things and like with all of her minions in the woods, her cauldron, and she's kind of like, Who's waking me up? Right? Right. And she's like, I'm an old lady. Like, what do you. What do you want from me? And Rusalka tells her, I want to be where the people are. I've fallen in love with this prince and I want to be with him. Mm-hmm. And Yashi Baba says, I will grant you your desire. I will turn you into a human, but it will cost you your voice. So you will not mm. be able to speak or sing at all. Right. And she says, worth it. Yeah. <laughs> worth it. And, not a problem. And then Yeshi right. Baba's like, but also, not only will it cost you your voice, there's kind of like a, a timeline here. You have to get the prince to love you. And if you can't, if the prince does not fall in love with you, then you will basic, basically be cursed forever to like live in some kind of purgatory right. between your two worlds. Like you can't go back to his world. You can't go back to the Vodniks. You're going to be kind of forever in purgatory. Yeah, that really sucks. That's a lot of pressure. But yeah. she says, worth it. <laughs> worth it. <laughs> and so then Yeshi Baba makes a potion for her to drink, which is probably Kyle's favorite scene oh, in the whole opera. Oh, my gosh. Yeah, it favorite is. Favorite scene in An any opera? opera? In yeah, oh, my God. This, this is in the top list. I what love. What is it that she says? Scooty Moody Fook. Scooty Moody Fook. Oh, yeah, my so gosh. It's kind of like the bubble, bubble, toil and trouble. Scene, yeah, yeah. Right? And it, oh, it's the, the best. music is, is great. It's like... Do, 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 
favorite Yeshi Baba of all time? Jamie Barton. Jamie What's Barton. up? Hey, oh, she's the best. Love you. She, oh my gosh, changed my life with her scooty moody fook. <laughs> Seriously, too. Okay, we'll link to on the website, uh, operaafterdark.com. We will link to the video. The Met has a great video of her doing this. And she's like the mad scientist. Right. Yeah. It seriously is just the coolest thing i've seen in in an opera in a long time she's great she is yeah though hopefully i didn't build it up too much no no i don't think that you did no she's (laughs) awesome it really is excellent yeah like check it out it's it's totally worth it it's only a couple of minutes long and it's the tits like it's so good all right so she drinks this potion she gets legs right yeah she gets legs there's like a big fireball scandal and she gets legs, naked legs. Yeah. And Ooh, then, nice. Yes. Don't be weird about it. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> and then somebody's got to. Like a minute or two after she <laughs> gets legs. <laughs> yes. Who wanders into the forest? Who? The, the prince. prince. Oh, and he's like, who is this <laughs> random woman? <laughs> the prince is like, I get a field. <laughs> I sense that there's naked legs somewhere. Right. <laughs> nearby i sense that there's a lady they can't say you no. hear the horns which are supposedly the prince's theme but also i think is like the sensing naked legs theme which is like i sense a mute woman yeah i'm about to get some today wait so he finds her and he he's finds like her. you are awesome he's like you're beautiful and she's like well, really, because she can't talk. <laughs> <laughs> he says something like, "Where did you come from?" And then he waits for a reply, and there's no reply. He's like, "You are so beautiful. How have I not known about you before?" Playing hard to get. Is what she's doing. <laughs> Silence. And, and then the, he's like, "Cool, I'm gonna take you back to my house." Literally, <laughs> he like picks her up, and she just like makes a face, like, "Yeah, that's great." <laughs> and, like, I mean, to be fair, she willingly. He doesn't abduct her or anything. She's like, yes, my plan is working. Yes. Like, you know? we all know that she's happy. It yeah. seems consensual, even <laughs> though she can't actually verbally consent. She could shake her head. I mean. Well, this is the thing right. that bugs me so much about this opera and this story. I'm like, the voice and singing are not the only ways that you can communicate. And it's like the prince is so right. dense. It's like she's like motioning and she's like ask, trying to ask a yes or no question please Ooh, uh, oh, uh, like, oh, uh, okay so we're 
Let's move on to Act Two, okay. where things have gotten. Yeah. Not By the way, that's great. end of Act One. That's the end Prince of Act One. <laughs> yeah, carries her away. He carries her away romantically to his. All castle. of the best music has already happened. Kind of. Well, but stick well, around. Good stick stuff. around. Um. So Act Two opens. Things are not going so great. <laughs> yeah. And like, it basically boils down to the fact. The prince thinks that Rosalka is a frigid bitch because she won't fuck him. <laughs> um, and so yeah. their relationship is strained. Uh, yes. Isn't she upset because she like has to wear clothes and well, stuff? Well, like she is, for lack of a better term, a fish out of water. And she's hey. not used to wearing like these very um, restrictive clothes with the corsets and everything. She doesn't understand court life. Mm-hmm. Apparently, she doesn't know how to communicate without using her, like communicate non-verbally. Mm-hmm. And also... Right. I mean, mainly he says, like, she won't let him kiss her. Oh, because you didn't say this part. Didn't Yejibaba say if he kisses you, he dies, right? That's not till later. Oh, my bad. That's not till well, later. she won't kiss him. Spoilers. Yeah. She's... It's, a, it's like she's she wants this is like to like a 400 year old folk tale. Yeah. <laughs> I'm sorry You've you had don't your time. I'm sorry if you don't know it. You have had your time to figure it out. But she won't kiss him, so he's like, "Why won't you let me hold you? Why won't you let me touch you?" Which is basically and him being like, "Why won't you just let me fuck you already?" And he's also hey. like, "Why won't you say anything?" And I'm like, "Buddy, have you have not, not figured, figured out, out that she can't fucking talk?" <laughs> But apparently he's still bothered by this. He's still bothered by this. So he set his sights on a different woman who was very vivacious and vibrant and who is my favorite character in this. The foreign princess. The foreign princess. Look, the foreign princess seems like a fun broad to like have (laughs) drinks with. You're on team foreign princess? I'm on team foreign princess because foreign princess doesn't give a fuck about any of these people. Foreign princess is living her best life. Yeah, she's swanning around in fantastic dresses, and she's like, mm-hmm. "If you want this, that's cool. I'm not making any effort. I'm awesome." Yeah, she is awesome, and like she that's honestly great. doesn't really have to try very hard to. No, she's not doing anything to get the prince to like. <laughs> yeah, you know, betray the woman that he kidnapped from the yeah. forest. <laughs> well, the Lake District. I don't know right. what we're gonna call it. <laughs> 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 And he and the other thing is like the way this is usually staged is like Rusalka's usually in like pale colors, like blue and icy colors, right. white. She's frigid. Right. Blonde hair. She's very frigid. She's a sea creature, cool. okay. Right. Not a sea creature, a lake creature. A lake creature. So, oh <laughs> damn it. And I know you're mixing it up with the little mermaid. It's okay. And then the foreign princess is usually in these, like, super saturated colors. She's vibrant. She's she's sassy. She's, like, in red and purple and, like, deep blue. And so it's – the visually, they're, like, set apart. And also their music is extremely different. Mm -hmm. Hmm. So Rusalka is very, like, for lack of a better word, like, she's impressionistic and she's soft. And, like, her music is very romantic and gentle and that kind of thing. And the foreign princess is, like, kind of, like – in your face, vivacious. And I read Naomi, somewhere a Naomi, long time who's, ago. What? Whose team are you on? Rusalka's team. Well, Ooh. if we're actually picking teams, I want to say both the women. I feel yeah. like they should get together and ditch this dude. <laughs> they really should. Right. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Okay, so anyway, sorry. You read, it's not you read going somewhere. Well. Um, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Yeah, he's, he, it's not going well. The foreign princess, I read somewhere that... There's like subtle allusions in the score, in the actual music, to like Polish dances and things like that in all of the foreign princesses' music. And so some people theorize that she kind of represented Poland 
to okay. the Czech people, and apparently there was some political tension at the time between oh. Poland and the Czech Republic, and so this was kind of like a okay. double whammy of like invasive forces mm-hmm. in this. Yikes. But I don't know enough about Polish music to know if this is political drama. True, but there was like some political undertones to this. Anyway, so she comes. She's beautiful. She's amazing. She knows what she wants, and she's like, "I want you." Why are you wasting your time with this lady who, like, doesn't seem to be interested in you and won't talk to you? And the prince is mm-hmm. like, you're right. Like, let's do it. Let's let's go at it. Right? Uh. They start making out seriously. Right. Rosalka's <laughs> like, oh, I made a huge mistake. Yeah, she sees him. She's like, my heart is broken. I'm doomed. But because- then who shows up? Well, the Vodnik shows up. Yay. And he tries to help nice. her. But, as we know, yeah. she's. She can't. She sold her voice to Yashi Baba. She sold her soul. Sold her soul. It's a very Faustian legend, mm-hmm. right? And she also is now doomed to purgatory because the prince has betrayed her love. Right. Yikes. And the Vodnik can't really help her. But he kind of like shows up out of nowhere and he's like, you've hurt my child. I'm bringing her back with me. And then he takes her away, right? Mm-hmm. Is that but end of act two? That's the end of act two. Yeah. And then, and well, the end of the act, it's even better. And this is a good scene because the prince gets his comeuppance. The foreign princess is like, you're disgusting. I actually don't want to be with you. Because she's fucking dope. Yeah. And then she's like, (laughs) goodbye. Because she's like, you just, you just betrayed your bride. Like, what's to say you would do the same to me? Right? The winner here is the foreign princess. Yeah. Yeah, because the stakes for her were pretty low, I think, yeah. to begin with. Right, right, she didn't right. need this dude. Yeah. So we now we so go she into swans off. Act and that's three the end of three. Her. And then this the prince is... basically ends the whole acting yeah, act like three. no, <laughs> no, like Anakin Skywalker. <laughs> <laughs> yes. In Darth Vader voice. Yeah. No. No. <laughs> Flames everywhere. Yeah, that's what he does. The prince is an idiot. Act curtain, act three. Yeah. And act three is final act, right? Yes. Final act. So, Rusalka goes to Yashi Baba, and she's like, I know I sold you my voice, and the prince betrayed me, but I still love him. What mm-hmm. can we do What here? can we do? And Yashi Baba is like, if you want your voice back, if you want to save yourself, take this dagger and kill the prince. Oh, yes. Okay. And Rusalka says, definitely not not doing doing that. I'm not going to do that. The definitely princess, not doing that or definitely not not doing that? Definitely not doing it. Yeah. <laughs> We're not double negativing here. The foreign princess, I will say, if she had been in this situation, well, one, she would not have gotten herself in this situation to begin with. Um, but two, if she had, she would have uh, murdered him. Yeah, yeah, stabbed him in the chest. No questions asked. Yeah. But uh, Rusalka is like, I'm never going to do that. I know he betrayed me, but for some illogical reason, I still love him. She stands by her man. So she throws the dagger into the lake, and she's like, not doing that. Oh, and And it's a deep lake, so you're never getting that shit back. (laughs) You're deep lake. You're never getting that shit back. (laughs) It's a Tonka, man. Yeah, and so then Yeshi Baba's like, well, then you're screwed. You are going to be like an evil, basically like a a spirit of death living in this lake. And not only are you chained to being this spirit of death and you have to like live in the depths of the lake forever. uh, If you interact with humans, like you're inevitably going to lure them to their death. And most importantly, if the, if the prince kisses you, if he ever comes back trying to win you back, if you actually kiss him, if he kisses you, 
you it's like the kiss of death. He will die. Mm-hmm. Oh, yes. Okay. So. Um, Prince comes back. Prince comes back. Of course he does. He does. There's, there's like a little <laughs> in between where like the wood sprites are like sad about what happened to Rusalka and all this kind of thing. Oh, that's nice of them. And the, then the prince comes <laughs> once again galloping through the territory. He's hunting the white doe, which is probably metaphorical for him like chasing after Rusalka, you know, guilty that he can't have her. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, he comes to the lake and he sees Rusalka bound to the lake the spirit of death he's like where have you right. been <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like, oh i was totally looking for looking you for everywhere you. babe right. come on come on <laughs> don't run away like that and then it's the, like oh you look a little bit death-like right. a little pale <laughs> Let's put some color in those cheeks yeah. so <laughs> he Gross. so he, he says say to that. her like i was wrong i like i wronged you like please forgive me too late and she says to him I forgive you, but, and then he like goes in to kiss her and she's like, no, 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 no. You kiss me, you're going to die. Like that's your, that's your fate. Mm -hmm. And then, and she's pretty forthright about it. Like, buddy, you kiss me, you're dead. And she can talk at this point? Yes, because she now has her voice back. She's now back to being a a, a mermaid. Yeah, so obviously the the prince is like, oh my word, you can talk. Fuck you, dude. You're not as frigid (laughs) as I thought. (laughs) And then so he essentially says to her, like, I would rather have one kiss with you and die than live the rest of my life not not knowing what it was to truly be with you. Oh, what is Lame. happening? <laughs> <laughs> so he kisses her and he dies. Right. Yes. That scene is very long yep. for the record. So when you're sitting in the opera house, it's like the one part of the opera where I'm like, Dvorak, you could have sped things up. Like, right. this is really Are you just, long. is it like... He they kiss and he takes forever to die, or yeah, it takes him forever kiss to kiss. Yeah, they kiss and he takes forever to die. Yeah, of course he does. He's a and tenor. He's so. a tenor. Yeah, and then and then the whole then the water goblin the Vodnik Vodnik appears and he has this line where he's like, "All sacrifices are futile." <laughs> <laughs> Thanks, man. <laughs> and then the Rusalka. Thanks the prince for giving her a moment of true love, whatever. And she then, doesn't know any better. Yeah, she thinks that she thinks she had it for a split second, right. and then, and then she kind of like, basically has like a prayer like moment where she's like, "God, please don't condemn me to hell forever." And then she returns to the depths of the lake, forever. So, so she's, she's like, still a. A death. She's yeah. We never really see whether serpent. or not she gets redeemed in any particular way. She's mm-hmm. still chained to the depths of the demon. So, so the two winners are the foreign princess and Yeji Baba. The wood sprites turned out all right. They don't really have a. They have <laughs> well, no they're kind of they sad no in this game. They're yeah. sad because they're, they're sad for their friend, Rusalka. but like they'll yeah. get over it. Yeah, their right. lives didn't change that much. They're still sprightly. I'm sure so that the Vodnik is sad because he like loved her like a father loves a daughter. Right. But you know. Right. Yeah. It's but so there's... funny how you like when you've seen a certain cast do a, a certain opera, like every time you talk about the Vodnik, I think of Eric Owens <laughs> yeah. like in my head. <laughs> yes. Just like you're like, Yeah, the Vodnik is sad. I'm like, Yeah, Eric Owens it was he sad. He was sad, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so so I sang Rusalka's theme, but like there's a bunch of other themes and mm-hmm. there's a bunch of leitmotifs. If you 
watch the opera and listen to it a couple of times and start to pick up on it. There's like a theme for water magic. There's a theme for Yeshi Baba. There's a theme for the prince. There's like a love theme for them. So there's all of these different light motifs that kind of really like stitch the score together and hold it together. But but Dvorak's style in this is just so beautiful. It's like washes of color and orchestral mm-hmm. sound that just kind of like morph and change throughout the whole score and it's It's so good it's so good like it really sweeps you away when you go to see it and and interesting to think that it was written and performed around 1900 when like music was changing a lot so for Mm -hmm. some like parallel Puccini's Tosca premiered in 1900 Mm -hmm. I think or 1901 and then by 1905 you have things like Zalame and then between 1905 and 1910 you have like Ervartung, you have Bluebeard's Castle, you have Electra. So you have all of these works that are like pushing dissidents to the absolute extreme, which will eventually lead to atonalism. But like Dvorak is still kind of, in a way, I think, fusing together the idea of through composed style and leitmotifs from Wagner, but then also like impressionistic ideas that you get with Debussy. And so there's like elements of Peleus and Melisande mm-hmm. in it. And it's just, I really feel like there's nothing else quite like it in opera. It's like a special little thing that that we're very, I'm very excited and happy that it survived and like didn't get lost to obscurity. Mm -hmm. So in general, I have been extremely, extremely impressed by Czech opera. Oh yeah, totally. Yeah. Like if you get a chance to see a Czech opera, you gotta see it. It's some seriously good music, and right. I think generally that area of the world is like kind of un- underrepresented in terms of composers that made it into what we consider the classical music canon. Mm-hmm. Um, and there's a lot of historical reasons for that. Like the Czech Republic was controlled by the the ne- modern day Czech Republic was controlled for a long time by the Habsburgs and by the Germans and I dug into this a while ago to try and figure out like why is there so few operas written in Czech from this period and a lot of it has to do with the fact that the Habsburgs and the people ruling the territory that were German speakers actually like made it illegal for people to to teach the language in schools and so like every mm-hmm. like the la- official mm-hmm. language of schools at that time was German and so there, and then there was this like nationalistic rise in the end of the Romantic era where suddenly they were like, we're no longer bound by these incredibly imperialistic or nationalistic rules by a foreign ruler. So now we really want to champion Czech opera, right? Or operas that reflect the stories and the music of our people. But that's relatively late, right? Like the late 1800s is relatively late for opera to kind of start to flourish. Right. So... Yeah. It takes a little while. And the same thing goes for, like, Hungary and I think, um, where is Sibelius from? Finland? Like, so that that whole kind of eastern side of Europe and even into the Scandinavian countries experience similar things where the kind of reign of the Habsburgs and, and different foreign powers that controlled the areas really dictated what they could and couldn't do in terms of artistic expression on, like, an international scale. But mm-hmm. but this opera Very interesting. it's amazing. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Listen I feel like to it, it, go and see it. It's beautiful. Yeah. Seeing it Love live it. is a great choice because it also yeah. really lends itself to interesting stage productions. 
Definitely. Like because of all the inherently mystical elements, there's a lot of room for interpretation. So hopefully Definitely. if you see it live, you see a production where the director and designers have taken liberties and really done something fun and special. Yeah. There's also a production I can't I don't know who it was by or where it came from, but I just remember seeing a clip of Christine Opelias like early in her career singing the role of Rusalka and it was like it looked like it was in some like dingy basement. Yeah, and, like nice. in a hotel. In a hotel and like the whole <laughs> floor is covered in water. And there's one point where instead yeah, of having like a really famous production. Yeah, instead it. of having a moon Gross. come up and kind of have her song to the moon, she's like holding this globish lamp. And I remember the first time <laughs> I saw it, I was like, girl, be careful. Like, that's electricity and you're sitting in water. Right? <laughs> so, oh, man. But I remember that being a really famous production and kind of created a lot of buzz when it first came out. It was not mystical and, you know, magical looking. It was very modern. <laughs> But depressing. Yeah. <laughs> All right. Well, that's Rusalka, folks. That's Rusalka. You should check it out if you can. Check yeah. it out. Are there cause... any other major... I mean, we talked at length about Song to the Moon and Scooty Moody Fook. Are there any other... Not really. Just the little motifs and... The Foreign Princess does have a really good scene. Right. Nice. Like, her All whole right. scene well... is pretty great. And then the last scene, there's a lot of... The leitmotifs that come back. I think the real, the real like starring role of this opera is the orchestra. Like you just got to listen to it mm-hmm. and and listen to the leitmotifs and how they come back, and it's it's really amazing. So, yeah. well, hopefully you all will be able to go see Rusalka somewhere near you. Coming to a theater near you. Yeah, <laughs> coming to a theater near you. And in the meantime, be sure to find our fun clips. And images on operaafterdark.com, mm-hmm. also at Facebook and Twitter and Instagram. And Instagram at Opera After Dark. That's right. Yes, at Opera After Dark. Thanks for listening. I'm Kyle. I'm Elspeth. I'm Naomi. Bye. Bye. Bye.